Well, thank you, everybody, for coming by yet another episode of Merge Worlds, my Dungeons & Dragons story stream podcast series. I think that's all the words I like to put in there. <laughs> but I appreciate you coming by and hanging out. Um, so, yes, today we're going to be continuing from where we left off last episode, uh, which was with uh, our storyline in Caradon with Artemis... Or sorry, Artis... Blah, blah, blah. Artis, Maeve, Petal, Ran, and Kip. Uh, do just a, a brief intro, and then we'll kind of jump into where we left off. Uh, so, over the weeks and months of travel, uh, they finally reached the kingdom of Caradon, a kingdom that they were sent to uh, by the magical scepter that they carry, uh, named Quintius. Uh, advised only that there was a source of evil here, and that if it was not dealt with, it could be uh, detrimental to both Seraph as well as their homeland of Serenity. So, um, yes. So, they uh, proceeded to make their way there, had a little venture on there, and then as they were traveling across Caradon to get to the actual castle, uh, they had a couple little run-ins there as well. Uh, once they reached the castle of Caradon, which again, I want to draw the picture for you, it's... Um, Surrounded by mountains, they had to go through a pass to get there. Uh, it's very easily defended, um, so it's it, it had to go through a pass to get there. The castle is well built, not huge, small, um, but they they were able to get there. Uh, they were invited inside. Brendan, who's the castle's caretaker, took them in to meet uh, the royal family, which uh, at this point is just uh, King Keljat and his daughter. Um, I have some minis. We'll pull up their pictures again so you can see what they look like. Uh, so for those of you who are uh, listening to the audio version of this on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play, anywhere you listen to audio podcasts, first of all, thank you for checking us out there. And if you haven't, be sure to give us a follow there as well. Um, but you can go to my website, onlydraven.com, where you can see pictures of the minis of the different characters and stuff that I've introduced. Hello, Miss Ashley. I'm glad you made it. Who else we got here? K-Cat, Richard, and Michael. Hello. So, there's a picture of King Keljat, who is the King Keljat. King Keljat is uh, uh, very thin. He's got a little belly on him, but he's, he's, he seems very gaunt. Um, and we'll cover why that is here in just a minute. But he... Very gaunt, uh, but he is the king. Uh, and then there is oops, wrong one. his daughter, which is uh, Princess Soraya, who's like early 20s, 22, 23, something like that. She's not super young. I'm definitely, someone asked if she was a kid. She's not a kid. She's in her early 20s. Um, and then, of course, the king's personal advisor, Advisor Bartimus, uh, who is uh, there as well. Uh, now, when they arrive, of course, all three of these people, are, they're taken to, like, the throne room, but the throne and such is a good distance away. And they're advised that because of the king's poor health uh, and concern of him getting sick from anyone else, he doesn't get close to people. And so the, the king, the princess, and, and uh, the advisor are kind of in distance. But they're invited to stay. Uh, they seem very pleasant, happy to have them here. Uh, and the mage specifically, Bartlemus, was, uh, who is a mage, by the way, he's open about that, is excited uh, to see Petal, who's another mage. Says, we don't get a lot of mages here. Excited to have you. Invite them to stay. They're given a tour. And while uh, they're there, they kind of split up a little bit. And Petal, who is, of course, our half-kender, half-human mage, and Kip, the half-elven rogue, uh, go and check out the library based on um, Bartlemus's uh, recommendation. Check out my library. And while in there, they run into the princess, who had appeared through a secret passageway to warn them to get out of there that they were in danger. 
they stay, uh, you know, because they're heroes, right? That's what heroes do. And that night, uh, while they were sleeping in their rooms, uh, they all have dreams where they're uh, being killed in some way. Being there, there's someone they love is, or someone that they have strong feelings for is basically killing them, telling them they should give up. There's no reason to go on. Uh, and they all manage to break free of it, although gasping, they're all being choked. Uh, except for Ran. And when they break into Ran's room, there's literally a shadow creature or darkness smoke type creature choking him. Uh, but they manage to save him and, and, and Maeve using her powers uh, as a paladin are able to basically fear it out the window. Um, and uh, they manage to save Ran. They all kind of hunker up in one bedroom, decide to stay in there because Maeve had to kick down Ran's door to get in there and she did in fact bust that door open. They decide to stay in one room where it's safer. Uh, and again, one of the big things that's pointed out, no one ever comes to check on them, even though there was quite a bit of noise made from Maeve smashing a door down and that kind of thing. So, um, you know, with all that going on, you'd think someone would come, but no one ever comes to check on them. Uh, Ran is definitely disturbed by the events, more so than the others, and he... Everybody else is kind of talking about who they dreamed of, dreamed of my father, dreamed of my mother, things of that. But Rand doesn't talk of who it is, and uh, Artis has the horrible feeling that it's her, right? Because, you know, someone that you love, and he's very much devoted to her uh, and her protection and the royal family in general, uh, but he won't really speak of it. And uh, it seems to have bothered him quite a bit, more so than it's definitely bothered the others. And that's kind of where we left off. So we're going to jump in right from there. But before I do, I do want to uh, throw one little quick shout out there. Uh, for those of you who might be interested, we have some brand new Merged Worlds merch up on the ODG store. Again, if you go to my website, onlydraven.com, uh, you'll find a link to the ODG store at the top. We have an entire line of all the different God's Holy symbols available on multiple different things, especially t-shirts. Uh, people have been enjoying them. They're quite popular. So uh, if you're a Merge World fan, or if you just want to see what the different God's Holy symbols look like, all of them are up there. You can definitely go check those out. And uh, while you're here, be sure to click like on this, or if you're listening on audio podcast, uh, give it a like, give it all the stars, the thumbs up, and if you leave a review, that would be awesome. All right, so let me take a sip of Bev, and we'll get right into the story today. So, they go through the night without any other incidents, right? No other creature things attack them. They do take turns taking watch, except for Rand, because, you know, he almost died. They want him to get more rest. Uh, he's the only one sleeping in a bed. But they, they, they do make it through the rest of the night without any issues. The next morning, they awaken. You know, they're prepared to see what happens. Uh, and sure enough, around early morning, Brendan shows up. And again, Brendan is the... I guess you could say concierge, head servant, whatever the case may be, uh, of the of the castle. He's the one who gave them the tour and has introduced them and all that kind of stuff. And what really, other than the royal family and Bartlemus, uh, the only person that they've actually spoken to here. Uh, when they arrived in the private dining hall, the food was already there. And while they've seen movements that would look like uh, servants and such down hallways and things, they really haven't spoken to anyone else. And no one, you know, when they left. The, uh, by the time they left after eating their meal, they hadn't seen someone the whole time. If anything, Brendan brought stuff into them. Uh, so Brendan shows up and wishes them a good morning. And uh, even though there's a broken door half hanging off a hinge and they're all in one bedroom, uh, Brendan makes absolutely no mention of anything that happens the night before. It's 
like he doesn't even notice that it's going on around him. It's good morning, everyone. I hope you slept well. Hope you have a good morning. We've prepared a great breakfast for you. Um, uh, the king has some uh, things he has to deal with this morning, uh, you know, matters of court and so on and so forth. Uh, so he won't be joining you for breakfast, but in the same room where you had breakfast, we have a, a great breakfast feast for you. We know you enjoyed the meal last night. We have a lot of things prepared for you. Uh, so if you'll come with me, I'd be happy to take you there. And they're like, okay. And you know, they're waiting to see if he, if he says anything. Now, they're armed, right? Normally, walking around a castle, you wouldn't be. But he doesn't draw attention to the fact that they're carrying their weapons or says, hey, if you'd mind leaving your weapons in your room. He doesn't draw any attention to it at all. Or that they're all, obviously, when they come out a bedroom door, there's like bed sheets and blankets and pillows and stuff on the floor where they were crashing out, right? They brought, I mean, sure, they've got their bedrolls, but you're going to still take pillows out of the room you're in. They're comfy pillows. You want to have those. Hello, Gorb. So... While they're there, uh, so you, no ten, no notice of anything odd. It's just like a regular morning to Brendan. So cautiously, they follow him, and sure enough, he takes them back to the same room that he, they were in before. And as I mentioned last time, there's really no guards in this section of the castle. There's no one there, A, protecting them, but more importantly, nothing to give them the feeling that they're being watched either, watched over or untrusted. It's nothing like that. They literally see no guards between where they are and where this private room is. And we're going to see this room a few times. So uh, the private room has a large table in it. Um, rectangular, obviously. You know, if you could sit on both sides. Um, clearly could seat probably 12 to 15 people comfortably. Um, it's well decorated and good care. It's obviously something that wouldn't just be for the servants. This would be something you'd bring someone to for a private meeting or, or dinner or something of that nature. That wouldn't require the, you know, the entire assembly of the grand rooms or anything like that. Um, but sure enough, they arrive again. There's a big spread of breakfast there. All the tasty stuff. Pancakes, bacon, eggs, all that kind of stuff. Uh, all the things you'd be looking for in a classic castle breakfast. Uh, piping hot. Looks good. Um, smells fine. But again, there's no servants or anything. There's no guards in the room to make them feel like they're being watched. And he says, well, I'm going to leave you here to eat. I'll be back in a short while, and you know, you know, I'll take you around, do a couple other little things, uh, show you a little bit more around the keep, and then until it's time to take you to, to see the king and, and the princess again. And they're like, okay. Because, again, he's asked nothing about what's actually happened, right? And he leaves them there to eat. Now, they're even more cautious than they were the night before, casting some spells, anything poisoned, you know, anything is the food inspelled in any way, and nothing comes up that way. The food does not appear magical. Um, they carefully check to make sure the food is not an illusion, um, which I'm going to take a brief aside in there. Um, when I'm role-playing this story, role-playing Dungeons & Dragons, uh, there is a chance for... If you're in a situation, the characters can say, I choose to disprove the illusion. Like, I think that what I'm in right now or what I'm seeing is fake. Uh, if, you can, if you can basically find your way of breaking through it. Some creatures and, and races have natural abilities to see through that stuff anyways. And a lot of times, um, uh, you know, if we look at something like uh, elves who normally have a very high resistance to sleep and charm type spells, a lot of times I don't tell them to make that roll. I make that roll. Uh, which is different than a lot of DMs I've come across. So like, roll your, your charm versus spell. Well, number one, I'm cluing you in that something you're, you're, that something's going on. If you're being charmed and you fail, you didn't know that was happening. So very often I roll those rolls. I'll get some stats at the very beginning of the play session. Um, 
that I might need throughout that episode, that uh, that that gameplay episode we're doing. And I always ask for some things I know I'm not going to need, so that way they don't know what I need, what what is actually going to be useful and what is not. Right? I'm like, hey, you, what's your strength? What's your constitution? What's your resistance for this? What's your saving throw versus magic? You know, get a bunch of stuff. Nine out of ten things I don't need, but that way they don't know which ones. If they see me rolling, they don't know who I'm rolling for or what. It's just, again, helps you. Now, if they can see through it and somebody doesn't, I'll make it quite clear to them, of course. It's like, hey, so-and-so is sitting there talking to somebody, but you don't see who they're talking to. What do you do? You know, okay, I play along like I can see them, too. You know, play along even though I can see through. Or they can be like, hey, who the hell are you talking to? The player has, has the choice of where they want to take it. Um, but whether they pass or fail or not, I roll that roll. So... In this situation, you know, they check to see is anything illusion, food, the room, and everything seems fine. There really nothing comes back as negative. Uh, they are, in fact, hungry. The stress and strain of the night before uh, definitely causes them to eat, even though they're not, they don't eat quite, a, even Maeve is a little bit more selective in what she's eating. She's like, I'm eating enough to be fed, but I'm not gorging myself this time because I don't know what's coming next. You know what I mean? Um... So they all eat kind of sparingly. And as I mentioned, Brendan said the king has some work, matters of state that he has to deal with this morning. Uh, so they're going to see him a little bit later in the afternoon. Um, he also tells them, till then, they're welcome to have the run of the castle. Feel free, look around. You've been given a bit of a tour last night. Obviously, they didn't see every single room in the castle, but the main things inside they were shown. Uh, they're like, yes, you have the freedom to look around if you'd like. Uh, when the king is ready to meet with you, I will come find you. And they're like, okay, well, well, all right, appreciate that. And that's when he leaves. They do their magic checks on the food, eat a little bit, figure out what they're going to go and what they're going to do next. Okay. So, uh, let's see where we leave off here. So, they decide that they are going to split up in this situation. Even though they're a little cautious of what's going on, um, the warning that the princess gave them of, hey, they're really going to be watching the cleric and the paladin. Artis and Maeve are going to be are the ones that evil Bartimus, you know, the one that she's saying, evil Bartimus, the you know, everybody keeps calling him Jafar in my messages. I guess everybody gets the same mental picture. Sometimes it's hard to hide stereotypes, but still, <laughs> but still, it's like you know, Bartimus um, is. Uh, uh, she warned them. You know, he's he's concerned with them as holy clerics. That's the, the ones he's worried about. Um, not really, in fact, he's happy to see Petal, and that seems genuine, although I did make mention that uh, uh, the l way the old man leers at the young uh, Halfkender does not uh, make Kip happy at all, finds it very uh, inappropriate the way that he seems to be looking at her. Um, lecherous, if you will. They decide they're going to split up a little bit uh, for two reasons. One, there's, uh, there is a small temple in the, uh, in, in the castle, and both artists and Maeve want to go there as they, they would and any holy temple they're going to want to stop by see if there's any clerics even though they were told by Brendan that there aren't any current active clerics in there still want to check out the temple um, and this gives uh, Ran to start going off with Kip and Petal because uh, again they're worried about Petal in this situation a little bit extra protection for Petal the three of them can go off and maybe you know the focus will be more on Artists and Maeve, they're going to be open about it. That's where they're going. Might let the other three maybe get some information without being quite the focus if they are, in fact, all being watched, if that makes sense. That's their thought process there. Um, and Ran also, if, if they do have a chance of seeing the princess again, Ran would like to, you know, 
see her in person. He's not had a chance to speak to her yet and get his overall feeling. You know what I mean? Uh, as someone who uh, has spent his entire life watching and idolizing the royal family, he has this mental picture of how a royal person would act. And so he kind of wants to get in there and check out the, the princess as well and then find out exactly what they can do to help her. So, um, as I mentioned, Petal did not get attacked the night before. Right? She was the only person who had no attack on her. But the other four were. Petal's perfectly fine at this point. Which is something that they noticed, they made note of, and they're, they're trying to, the fact that Bartlemus has been kind of focusing on her a little bit makes them think, well, wouldn't he have wanted her to do whatever? But if they were trying to, if he was in fact trying to kill everybody, he might have wanted to keep her alive for some reason. So keeping Petal protected is important to them at this point. Making sure, you know, I'm fine by myself. They're like, no, 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 we're, we're not leaving you by yourself. Um, Maeve is the one who mostly wants to be around Petal, but the concern that they're being watched as the paladin and cleric, it makes honest sense for them to split up. So they're going to go, Artis and Maeve are going to go and check out the temple, while um, the other three are going to, you know, meander around a little bit and then eventually try to make their way back to the library again. So that way, hopefully, they can meet up with the princess, get some more information, or just, you know, find anything they might find in the library that might help them know more about this area, the land, or something that might help them figure out what's actually going on here. So, let's see, Maven artists uh, go ahead and head towards uh, the, the temple. The temple itself um, is not large, uh, but it is an older-looking building, for sure. Um, it's, it looks like it, when they get there, and they see it, they're like, okay, it looks like it matches the uh, same construction type, if you will, as the castle, although its design seems a little different. So it's made out of the same materials, but uh, the architecture design looks to be just a little off of what the rest of the castle is built like. Uh, sure enough, as they were told, no one's there currently, um, but they do manage to go inside, you know, they get there, and they're going to go inside and look around. Immediately, the first thing that both, both of them notice, uh, and being what they are, they would notice this right off the bat. This is not consecrated ground. Uh, someone of the light, which would be any of the the, the good alignment clerics and paladins, uh, especially those who are servants of the light, which uh, even though they're both clerics of truth, they're bringing the truth of the light. They are definitely in you know linked with that. Um, walking on holy ground, you can tell that. Just as if they walked on holy ground that was evil, they would know that as well. Because it's, it's going to feel bad. Sometimes, depending on the spells and how strong it is, it can actually cause them physical harm. Uh, it's the exact same thing as if an evil cleric walked into a holy, on holy ground without permission or without, if it's protected, they could just feel nauseous, ill, or worse, uh, worst case, they lose connection to their powers, to their deity while on that land, um, or could literally be harmed by any type of defenses that are set on there, which many uh, temples would have. Uh, especially if it's a, a bigger one in the castle, you think you would have more protection than maybe some small chapel in a little village, right? But as soon as they step in there, this is not consecrated ground for anybody. There's no holiness to it of either light or dark or neutrality. They're not feeling anything. It's just a regular building. Um, and that stands out big time. <clears throat> Excuse me. They go inside, they start looking around, and the place is very clean, and it seems kept. But as they're paying more attention and looking at everything, 
they start to notice things that it's kept recently, right? You can imagine you go in, there's going to be a section where there'd be a lot of candles, lit candles, people go in and light a candle. As we see that even in many of the different churches and such we see in our world, still very common in the temples and things in uh, merged worlds where someone might go light a candle for a loved one or, or ask for a blessing from a god or a, you know something of that nature, a ward against evil. Lighting a candle, a specific type of candle or, or color candle could be actually a prayer to a god. It's very common to do that when entering into a temple. Uh, plenty of candles here. Multiple of them lit. Uh, and immediately they're looking at these they're like, these candles are brand new. Every one of the candles there is a new candle. You know, it's you come in, you'd normally find candles at all different types of heights. Some have been lit longer, some have been there for a while. They go out, you know, someone will normally come around and put them out after a while, and people come in and relight them for a new prayer, so on and so forth. Um, but all of the candles and such, it's very clean. No dust, no cobwebs. Almost like someone has recently come through and cleaned this place thoroughly and put out a bunch of new candles and then lit a few of them to give that, hey, this is what, uh, this is what a, a, a temple would look like. Um, but that stands out immediately. Like there's, there, none of these candles have been lit more than a few hours. Um, and some of these candles are pretty big. I mean, you, could, you can tell these things. So they're like, okay, definitely from the things that they see on the wall, tapestries, banners, things, they're all symbols to the light. Minara, goddess of light. Um, it's While the gods have their holy symbols, all the gods of light would fall under Minara's symbol. So very often a church won't have, or a temple won't have, all the gods up unless it's dedicated to a specific one, which is very common. Um, but a lot of them are going to be of the light, or in the case of an evil one, of darkness, uh, even if it's dedicated to all the evil gods. Um, they would still be seen as that's the, 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 Minara is the mother of the gods of light, not physically. Some of them, yes, but not all of them. And, you know, the, the elder three gods, which is Minara of light, uh, and then Elizon of Darkness, they're siblings. Um, just as the God of Neutrality is one of those three siblings. It's two brothers and a sister. Um, and then some of them are children. Some of the, 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 the other gods are their consorts or the equivalent of spouses, even though there's not really marriage for gods. Who marries a god? Who's above that, right? But uh, uh, And then some of them are children, and then some of those are gods that came from the before when they came to this existence to create this universe. So some gods came with them, some gods are siblings or children of that. And there's cousins and so on and so forth, right? You can imagine that. They're siblings, then some of these gods, the good and evil, could literally be cousin gods. And some are just, hey, I'm here because I decided to come. Um, again, for more information on that stuff, let me know. I can go into more detail uh, about the gods. Uh, I covered it very early in the series, but I, I, I might touch back up on that in a, a special episode here in the near future. Now that I've got all the holy symbols, maybe dedicate a, a behind-the-dice episode to just going in-depth on the gods and their connections and stuff. Uh, something If you're something you're interested in seeing, let me know. Throw it in the comments or, or shoot me a message on the website or in the Discord. Love to hear feedback if that's something anybody out there would actually like to see. Um, so, again, they, they check, they're checking around, they're looking at the stuff. Uh, it's definitely clean, it's new, but it's clear that no one works there, no one lives there. Um, they don't go searching for bedrooms and such. It's a small place, and small so enough that any clerics that would normally work there probably would live within the castle itself and not just within the temple. Um, but it looks like it's been recently cleaned, scrubbed, and prepped, very likely to give the illusion that it's in use. 
Um, although you'd think anyone would know, they can tell the, land, the ground is not consecrated in that area. Um, and while they feel no consecration, they, they actually feel a void. Uh, and I want to stress that. It's, it's almost like there's an absence of holy. Whether good or evil, holy can be either. But there's an absence. It's almost like a void of, not dead magic. It's not that extreme. It's not a dead magic zone. They still got their spells. But when they're in there, they feel like an absence, like literally the, the essence of gods is just being sucked out. Not physically, but just that feeling, that type of emotion. Um, and as they're looking at the architecture and they're looking at the walls, looking for clues, anything they can find, they start to see that some of the inner chamber, which is it's a rounded like temple with a central room with pillars and then the rest of the buildings around it. Um, they start to look and they can see that the, the inner pillars that's holding up this area and the, uh, the made of stone and such as well, while it still kind of seems like it's made of the same material, it's definitely older. It's more worn. Um, and the architecture is a little bit different. And it's so much so that when they're looking at it, they get the feeling that this central part of the temple is much older than the castle is. Like whatever was this, this little thing here, whether it was originally a, a temple to the gods or not, it has been there longer than before the castle ever existed. You remember, the king, the ancient king and everybody came to these lands and settled these lands. There was supposedly no one lived here, was what they'd heard through rumors. They came to this open land and claimed it for themselves. Um, on that, as they're very carefully checking it, they start to find carvings in there that are very worn, but they're able to make out a few of them. And as they're checking the carvings, they, they appear to be kind of runic in structure. So not a language that any of them know. It doesn't make out any words. They don't appear to be the runes of magic that, as, that they would know them, although they're not as experienced with mage magic. Petal might recognize them more than they do. But they don't see them as anything other than looking at them, their first kind of thought looking at their feeling is these look a lot like the runic structure that we saw back in Valrugan. If you'll remember when they went into the very Norse type town and they were attacked by the bad dude there, they found writings in hidden under his chest that he had come to this area and it had writings and sigils on, on, on paper that they couldn't read then either. Even Petal couldn't decipher um, nor could Kit. Now I want to stress that, because that might seem odd. Why Kip? Um, again, remember that my stuff is all based on second edition Dungeons and Dragons. And thief skills work a little bit differently in second edition. And all rogues get a base chance 60% of comprehend language, which means uh, a rogue, just through their knowledge and experience, has a better chance of slightly deciphering a language they've never seen before without the use of having to use any magic. It's just something they can do. And I've always enjoyed that as a skill. I try to work that in whenever possible. Um, it's one of the less used skills I find by rogues. So when somebody's like, hey, I'm going to use my comprehend language to see if I can figure it out. I'm always excited to see them using those less used skills. So I do try to occasionally put things in there that if they think of it, it could actually benefit them. But previously, neither Kip uh, nor Petal could decipher anything about those. So seeing them here again does kind of link, okay... That dude attacked us. There was something wonky with him. He was fine when he came here, but when he came back, everybody said he was weird, acted strange, and then, of course, he attacked them and tried to kill them. So, after searching, they don't find anything else at all. 
So they decide to start making their way back in the keep, see if they can uh, get to it, you know, look around a bit more, see what they can find, and make their way back to their friends. They take a good hour or two to look around at all this. It seems like five minutes, but they took some time to search the building and look around. Um, and no one bothered them the whole time they were in there. And as they're leaving the temple, because again, it's part of the castle, but it's kind of in a courtyardy area, and they're making their way back into the, the, the castle proper, they notice that there's not a lot of sound. They don't see people moving about or running around. They can see some guards up on the battlements. They're not moving around. They're just standing up there. Um, and as they make their way back inside, they pass several guards. And, you know, I'm not trying to draw too much attention, but they, they start to look at these guards. And they're alive. They're not statues. They can see that they're breathing. But the guards' eyes aren't moving. They're just straight looking forward, almost ignoring that they're coming. Now, that may be part of their training. They're not supposed to be looking at guests and royal people in the eye. That is not unheard of even in our own history, where you can be punished just for looking at someone above your station. So that could be training, and they don't want to test it. They're not trying to get anybody in trouble. But it is something they notice. Definitely these guards are living people. I can see them breathing. They're up and down with their chest and such. These are living people, but they're definitely not paying any attention to Artis and Maeve as they pass by. So again, they're not getting that feel that they're being watched uh, from anyone there. And they also don't get that overall feeling like, ooh, I'm being watched. But not everybody does. You could still be being watched. That's a cliche. They could be being watched. They just don't see anybody. But they make their way back into the castle and start looking for their friends. So, Brendan drops Petal, Ran, and Kip off at the library. He went with them to show them how to get there again. And when the other ones are going outside. Um, and actually makes a comment to them. Hey, it may be a while before... Bartlemus comes by. He's working with the king today. He's a very busy man. He's many things taken care of, both you know, helping the king look after the kingdom as a whole. He's very busy, so I, he's not here now, but he may be by later. I'll definitely, if I see him, I'll let him know you're in the library. He loves this library. We already talked about all that. They had a big connection in the library. So he drops them off, and they kind of go inside. And at first, they're being very careful just to look around the library. They're not going directly to where the princess came out of the secret passageway behind the shelves last time, in case they are being watched, you know, and they don't want to draw attention to her. They're not trying to get her in trouble. So they start looking around the shelves and looking at different books and such. Um, it's Kip that hears the, the secret door open before the other two. Uh, Petal has pretty good hearing as well as a kender, but Kip being half-elven is just infinitely better hearing. Uh, and he can actually hear the door opening where the other ones do not. So he gives a short little whistle noise that they're used to him making draw their attention. And they all kind of move over there. And sure enough, once again, the princess uh, is, has met them in the library. Um, now the princess looks overwhelmingly relieved that they're okay. Um, and says so. Oh, I'm so glad that you're okay and everything is okay. I was definitely worried when I found you, heard you chose to stay. I was so worried about you, but I'm so glad to see you and your friends are okay too. And they're like, yeah, we're all alright. You know. And once again, the princess warns them of staying. And they, they say, hey, last night we were attacked. You know, there were some things that happened last night. Do you know what that was? And she's like, no, please tell me. And they describe it loosely. They don't say Ran almost died, but like, yes, some type of creatures, smoke things. And she's shocked, like, oh, I can only assume it's, it's magic. And they're like, well, yeah, I mean, we're pretty sure it's magic. We got that part. 
she's not an idiot, the princess. She's like, well, I don't know anything about magic, but it wouldn't surprise me if Bartlemus did send Like, I, I, I warned you, you were in danger. And says specifically that whenever people come to visit, especially people of notice, you know, if a farmer shows up with a grievance, not much may happen. But if a noble person or a cleric or, you know, it's been a long time, but a mage shows up, they normally don't stay very long. And when they do, they seem changed, quiet, more sullen. Uh, it's, it, it's never a, it's always, oh, hey, welcome, you're here. But they leave very quietly and go without any fanfare. And then she never sees them again. Um, so she can't say whether or not anything like this has ever happened to anyone else because these are the first people she's really had a chance to talk to um, is our, our little group of heroes here. And part of that is, is the age. She sees these people are closer to her age, right? You know, some 50-year-old cleric comes walking in there. She may feel a little, ooh, they may not believe me kind of thing. These people, are more. she feels more kinship to them, even though she's probably older than most of them. Maeve is the oldest of the group. So, well... Except for Kip, who's like over 100, obviously. We've talked about that. But of the group, Kip looks like he's still in his early 20s. So he still probably looks like he's a bit older than the rest, but as, as a whole. Um, so she says again, warning them against Stang, says that Bartlemus has a spell on everyone, even the king. That my father has been inspelled by him. Everyone in the castle has been. Um, and that it, she believes even though he's never come out and quite said it, that his intention, based on what he's doing, is to basically take her for himself and proclaim himself the new king. Um, over the last several years, he's taking uh, more and more... Um, uh, uh, over more decision-making and more control over the kingdom as a whole uh, so that the king's poor health, right... Um, who's been in poor health slowly since Bartlemus has gotten there. Uh, over time, the, the Bartlemus is handling more and more where many of the people are coming to Bartlemus directly for decisions and what do we do here and how should this be, military things and so on and so forth. Uh, Kim Poole puts a comment. Yes, I will definitely check that after the stream. Thank you, Kim. I will do so. Um, but, you know, it's one of those things where um, you know, there's that concern. He's, he's putting himself in a position where people are already looking to him as a leader. Um, either partially out of trust, but more likely almost out of fear. Um, and so she believes that that's his end goal. And, he, and, you know, even brings up the thing that the way he looks at her creeps him out and so on and so forth. There's been many a times that he stood a little bit too close or put a hand on his shoulder and, and you know, she's had to quickly just kind of sidestep out of that type of thing. Um, but he creeps her out completely and, and you know, and, and again, hearing the way that uh, she's describing this, you know, Rand and Kip, and Petal can't help but look at each other and be like, well, that's kind of how we described you as looking at Petal. Lecherous, filthy old man. Not a big fan of that. Um, and everything they're saying would make sense, right? you got to imagine a lot of these folks have dealt with kings and artists as a princess. You learn about history and royals. These type of things are not outside the realm of normal where someone tries to usurp a king uh, by marrying the child and either killing or forcing out the king or queen kind of thing. Um, now, one of the other things they find out uh, from the princess um, is that she believes that Bartlemus killed her stepmom. If you remember, I mentioned that the, the king's wife uh, had died, I believe it's in childbirth, of uh, the princess, but that he married a, a, another woman who the daughter really raised her and adored her, um, but 
she was quite open about the fact that she hated Bartlemus, the the stepmom did, and that um, was always trying to get the king to get rid of him, banned him, creeped her out, and so on and so forth. So when she died mysteriously of an illness kind of thing, around the same time that the king started to grow ill, uh, it's always been the princess's uh, belief that Bartlemus had something to do with that, as she was the biggest thing keeping him from really getting close and getting sway over the king. Um, so she had, so died soon after that. Uh, like I said, visitors come leaves a trance. Um, and she's very afraid for her kingdom as a whole, because she's a princess, right? She was raised to that rank. She's very afraid not only for her father, but for the kingdom as a whole, and what will happen if Bartlemouth ends up having his way, right? Um, she already knows, you know, that the whole plate basically kind of explains the whole castle's enslaved. Everyone's magically spelled to, to do what he says and, you know, serve him and ignore the, the king most of the time. Not that the king is really trying to argue it. The king is just living life one day at a time, clueless to everything that's going on, partially because of the spell on him as well. Now, of course, Petal, Kip, and now Ran, who's heard this story and immediately hates Bartolomus, because again, he's all against protecting royal families. You know, he's like, he's like, yeah, no, we're not going to stand for that. And, you know, they do that kind of thing. They're like, hey, we are not going to let that happen. You know, and they don't say, hey, we're here for a reason. We were sent here. You know, because they're they're still not an idiot. They're still keeping that close to cup till they know exactly what's going on. But they're like, hey, you know what? We we are good people. We're not going to let that happen. Okay, we're going to do everything to help you if we can. And she's like, well, I appreciate that. The best thing you could do is leave before you get ensnared as well. And uh, they're like, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> so. She tells him that she has to go. She's already been there long. Bartimus could be by any time. And if he notices, again, that, uh, that that she's there, she could be punished. And she doesn't want that. You know, she's worried about him. And she's like, I've got to leave before he notices I'm gone. Even if he doesn't come here, if he comes to my rooms and see I'm not there, which I rarely get to leave, you know, had it not been for these secret passageways, uh, I could be in trouble there as well. Alonzo. So she bids him as well. And once again, Bids them good day and again gets back inside and the shelf closes be behind them and um, they see how that works. You know, they see how the secret passageway works. It doesn't take long for neither Kip or Petal to figure out how something like that works. They're both naturally good at finding secret passageways. Petal and Kip both normally just notice, okay, well obviously that's the offset, that's the lever that's hidden behind that book. Okay, we've got that. <clears throat> so they decide to take just a few minutes to just meander around the library before they go. Just again, in case they are being watched, you know what I mean? Just look around a little bit. Because you know, where the princess comes out is in between two shelves. And it's very hard. You wouldn't be able, Coming in the door, you wouldn't be able to see that meeting. And there's very quiet whispering and they're behind that shelf. It's designed that way. They go out there wandering around the rest of the room looking at books and such. Now it's about that time as Petal is looking around, she comes to a particular shelf. It's kind of off to itself. And it's the books that are there seem that they're a bit older. If you remember, Bartlemus said that he had a lot of the books rewritten and remade. I got all the scribes and leatherworkers to make all new copies of the books. And while these ones look older, they still uh, they have the, the crests and symbols of the, the house and all of that stuff on there. Um, and she starts kind of looking through those books. 
And as she's going through those books, she comes across one that is literally looks appear to be older than all the other ones. She's looking at the titles on the side. She stops and she just kind of freezes. And her hand shakes a little bit as she reaches up and traces over the name of the book on the spine. And her hand is visibly trembling. Like it's, oh, like whether it's fear or shock, you would know. But she's definitely hand shaking. She's found something that's just shocked her. Okay. She's about to reach for the book when Kip, when she hears Kip next to her, she didn't even notice. She's like, pedal, we've got to go. Maven artists are down at the end of the hallway. We've got to go. We've got to get back to them. And she's like, yeah, um, of course, sure. And she keeps glancing back at the shelf and she follows Rand and Kip. And as she's leaving, as she's walking out, she can't help but turn around and look one more time. And she's just staring at that shelf as the library door closes. The last thing she can see is that book and that shelf in the corner. <laughs> no, I'm not going to tell you what it is yet. You have to wait. So the two groups meet up. At this point, you know, they, they were brought in you know, 9 in the morning. They had a couple of hours to eat, hang out, so on and so forth, 11 a.m. They spent two or three hours looking around, hanging out in the library, doing stuff. We're in early afternoon at this point, probably 1 or 2 in the afternoon, just to kind of give you a timeline of how the day is progressing. Uh, they meet up in the hallway, um, and, you know, they're careful. They can see guards in the distance and such, and there's no one right around them, and they, you know, they whisper together a little bit of what they found, you know, huddled up, if you will, which I want to mention... Uh, it is a struggle for Maeve, much as it was her father, to whisper. Minotaurs do not whisper by nature. They have loud, booming voices. Uh, and it's something that they have to practice and train to do. And in the early days of this adventure, there are more times than none that that has been a bane. And I, I realized just recently while I was writing this that I never, ever, I don't think ever brought that up in a previous episode. Um... But in the very early days of Merged Worlds, there were a lot of times when they'd be sneaking somewhere and Darsh would be like, I tell them to go over there. But he never said, I whisper. If he didn't whisper, he said it in a regular voice. And that got them in trouble. He had to learn to whisper. Because he'd never been raised to do that. Darsh, he's a minotaur. Minotaurs don't sneak around. They just charge in and slaughter everything. That's, that's what they do. And it became a part of uh, the player, you know, you played him, the part of that nature to be like, Darsh, whispers. She had to bring that up. Had to learn to make that part of their thing. She had to do that for Darsh, just as Darsh learned that as well. Um, and it was, a, it was a very fun dynamic. And I always plan on doing the same thing with Maeve, um, because Maeve was being played by the other person in the group, who never had to deal with that. So that was always going to be something I was going to have them, if you would, punish them for uh, not knowing that trait. So it's something that Maeve is, as well struggles with her friends are always hushing her, keeping it down and stuff. She's like, oh, right, I forgot. Because she's just that regular booming minotaur voice is her. It's not how, even she talks calmly, it's loud. An aside I wanted to mention, because I remembered it, it's just a little thing about Darsh I'd never brought up before that I, I thought would be fun to share with everybody. So they meet up and they kind of explain what was going, what, what they found. Okay, we found the temple. It's not consecrated land in any way whatsoever. Candles are new, old architecture, runes that match what we found on the crazy guy in Varugan. They're like, okay, Petal says, we met the princess. Spell on everybody. Taking over. Thinks he's going he's gonna to try to, you know, take her for himself and, and kill the king and take over. Thinks he's responsible for killing her stepmom, who she loved and stuff as well. 
So, kind of sharing the info that they find. I will mention, just an aside, Pedal doesn't mention the book. So, they kind of talk about these things, and they're like, all right, we've got some free time. I don't see Brendan, and we were told to have freedom of the place. Let's look around a little bit specifically. And it's Maeve that says that. She's like, listen, when we were getting the tour last night, there was a section that we just kind of breezed right by. And it wasn't obvious, and there might not be anything to it, but I noticed a, a rather long, large hallway that we breezed right by that he never mentioned what was down there. Um, I'd like to know everything I can about this castle. Worst case scenario, someone says, hey, we can't go there. I say we check it out. The rest of the group is like, okay, sounds good to us, let's go. So, they make their way, it takes them a little bit to find it again, but Maeve had done her best to remember, so it didn't take too long. But they find this hallway, and as they're traveling down it, they're noticing that the whole hallway is lined with guards, much like many of the hallways are, and I don't mean they're shoulder to shoulder. You may go 15, 20 feet, and then there's another one across from each other, or one on this side, then 20 feet, one on that side. They're not packed in, but there's guards throughout there. And just like all the other guards, these ones are not reacting to them walking by. No one's stopping them or saying, hey, you can't go through here. And, you know, may even artists even point out, hey, we've noticed their eyes don't even track where we're walking. So, of course, Pedal and Kip and Ran are now kind of watching that, and these ones are the same way. Again, you can see they're breathing, they're alive, they're not statues. If anything, you may even see them sway or just shift a little bit while they're standing there, as a normal person would. Uh, again, I don't want to give any illusion that they're frozen or anything like that. They're just people standing very still, and for all intents and purposes, it's almost like they don't even know artists and friends are walking through. I'm not saying that's the case, but that would be the implication. They don't even know there's something to look at. They could just be very well trained, like I talked about before. But this hallway seems a little bit more populated in guards. Not by enough, but just enough to be noticeable. There's a little bit more than there were. They're a little bit closer together than before. And while no one is saying anything to stop them from going, they're being cautious. When they get to the end of the hallway, it makes a 90-degree turn to the left. Okay? This long hallway means you could see the end of it from a distance. It wasn't like unending. They get there, and they, they go to the left. And just a little ways ahead of them, maybe about 20 feet ahead, the hallway stops, and there's a set of doors. Now, they're on the ground floor at this point. And they, as they're walking, they're trying to remember their layout. Okay, we, if the temple's there, the rooms are there, we're going this way, we're trying... They're trying to remember the layout. And from where they are, they believe that they should be near the back of the castle at this point, which means they should be against the mountain. So that door either goes into the mountain, or more likely goes downstairs. Because let's be honest, every castle's got its dungeon and wine cellar. I mean, there's going to be... Food and things are kept down where it's colder, that's why there's no refrigerators, right? Magic spells, maybe, but no regular refrigerators. So keeping food and perishables underground where it is naturally cooler helps things last longer. So it's very common for that type of thing, even in uh, Serenity. A lot of the inns and restaurants in the keep, even the temple, have underground areas specifically for that. So again, not, not unnatural. What they do notice, though, is that there are two pairs of guards in this short hallway on each side, and there are four guards literally standing in front of the doors just looking at them. 
There's no way to get to these doors or open the doors without having to go through those four guards. No one's saying anything to them. No one's telling them not to come any closer. No one's brandishing a weapon. But they're looking and they're like, four, four, there's eight guards here in a very small section. The most amount of guards they've seen in one place other than the throne room, which is where you'd expect there to be a lot, right? Other than the throne room, this is the most amount of guards they've seen in one spot. And these guards are standing literally in front of these doors. And Artis turns to Maeve. Oh, we went the wrong way. This is a dead end. We must have gone completely down the wrong hallway. And she's like, sorry, everyone. We didn't realize we were in the wrong spot. Uh, we're just trying to find our way back to where we met Brendan. And the guards stand there. They don't say anything. They don't nod. They don't acknowledge them. But they also don't move towards them hostily at all. Like, well, sorry, we'll find our way back. And they turn and they go to leave. They make a show of it saying, oops, we went the wrong way. <laughs> trying to play that off just to see how the guards react. But the guards, again, no reaction whatsoever. Start making their way down the hallway. Now, they're careful not to say much. As I said, the hallway's slightly more... Mm -hmm guarded than the other ones that they've been through so they're being extra careful not to talk about anything till they get to an area where they feel they're a, a little bit more uh, secluded if you will now they get back to an intersection again they find an area uh, they find an area where there's nobody really close they maybe see some guards in the distance and they kind of huddle up again trying to be natural about it as much as they can and Rand's like I think there's something behind those doors. And they're all looking at him like, yes, Ren, we, we got that. And Maeve hits them all with a sentence that blows their minds. I sensed evil behind that door. Let's talk about that. I sensed evil behind that door. Artists didn't. Artists wouldn't. One of the natural abilities, of the most common abilities of a, of a paladin is the ability to detect evil within a specific range of themselves. Right? Um, so, way back in the early parts, there was a part where, uh, uh, way back in the early Merged Worlds, Artemis went to a village that was dealing with a plague. You may remember that. There was some uh, clerics of corruption, of, of sickness and plague that were poisoning the well and the so on and the so forth. And she had with her Weston who's the paladin, who is the same paladin who trained Maeve, and using his ability to detect evil is one of the things they did a lot in that area. Um, and it's definitely something that Maeve is aware of. Now, I want to I draw that out here, because I can't remember if I've mentioned that previously, um, but she does have that same ability. So stressing that means that she's been hanging out with Brendan, and did not detect evil, okay? Because, again, it dawned on me that I'm talking about Brendan a lot. You might think I'm trying to throw... Brendan's the only one they talk to. That's why I'm throwing Brendan out there a lot. She does not detect any evil whenever Brendan is around. She didn't detect any evil in their rooms until in the heat of it all, she woke up and sensed it all, and she, where Rand's room was was just slightly out of range. As she got close to the door, she could feel the evil behind him. It's always on for her. She does not turn that on or off. It's just a part of who she is. She always, you know, walking down the marketplace, like, oop, that's evil. <laughs> you know, just, just, just that kind of person. It's one reason why 
villains and such, people who are in hiding as evil, would very often avoid getting anywhere near a paladin. Because it's not a secret. Everyone knows paladins can do this. Um, so a paladin traveling with artists, you think about that. Here's two people that represent law and order and the light. One of them trained to pass judgment, to be a judge in situations where it needs to be, like artists, right? Who on top of that is a princess who's also trained to make judgments as a princess or as, as one day a queen to be able to deal with that as people. And she's hanging out with someone else who's basically a tank of the same god who can also detect evil if you happen to be in the vicinity. So that's a really powerful couple right there of people to have standing side by side. Um, so it would also make sense why Bartimus would have a, a concern with that. That said, they haven't been close to Bartimus, have they? In fact, when they go into the throne room, I said they're good 30, 40 feet away. They can't get close to any of them because they're sick. And if they get close, it could get the king even sicker. So they've never been close to any of them. Now, Petal Rain and Kip have been close to the princess, but that's not a big deal. They've been around Bartimus, but they don't have the ability to, to check Bartimus like that. And if Petal starts whipping out a spell, Bartimus is a more experienced mage than she is. He's going to know what's going on. So she can't cast a spell on him, detecting for evil or whatever, and even if she has that spell, which I don't think she does, if I have to check her spell list again. I do have a spell list for her, by the way. Uh, <laughs> I don't believe she has that one. So, you know what I mean? So... Maeve has not been able to do her check on anybody except the guards they walk by who aren't being triggered. They're not triggering any problem. Um, nor are nor, nor is uh, uh, Brendan. So I did want to touch on that as well. But she's like, I did sense very faint something evil behind that door. So that, of course, is like, alright, that's the first real finger point. Okay, there's something there. Right? There's a lot of things around here that are odd and weird, but that's literally a potential source. And they've come here to find something evil. Maybe that's what they're looking for. So, trying to find a place to talk about this quietly. They're going down the halls trying to avoid stuff. They see another nice set of doors to a room they've not been in. It doesn't look like a private door, like a, you'd see for a bedroom or something like that. It's a little more grand. It's a small double door, so it's not like a big one to like a giant room. They decide to knock on the door. No one answers. They decide to open up and see what's inside. And what they find is clearly what you would call the king's den or the hunting room, right? There's stuffed animals and heads on the wall and trophies and such, a fireplace, chairs. Probably where the, the king would go in and regale his adventures as a youth. Because as a king, it's part of your job. It's like, oh, there's a werewolf messing with the... I gotta go kill the werewolf if we don't have you know clerics and such. Or, hey, there's a, a hill giant to attack him. Okay, I gotta, it's the king and his men that go to take care of it, protect their people, part of their job. This is where that stuff kind of comes from, as well as just animals they may have hunted, you know, dragons, things. There's no dragons in here, but just as an example. Um, and so they get inside, and right off the bat, they say, this room, no one's been in here in a while. Um, it's not a giant cobwebs, but it's dusty. The fireplace is completely cold. It's not been lit any time recently. Um, but there are multiple trophies and such. There's no one in here and the room is dark. Right? There's a small window, so the room has got a little bit of light to it. Uh, but not a ton. Enough that they can see. So they're looking around a little bit. Because, again, everybody can see here. 
except Artisan ran anyways. Uh, Maeve, uh, Petal, and Kip all have Infravision. <clears throat> but it's too bright for it to fully kick in. But they can see a little bit. Um, and they look around and look and they see some weapons on the wall and old bow and arrows and things and so on. Um, it's Maeve that notices that above the fireplace, it looks like there's something that was there but is not currently there anymore. Um, she can see hooks, and it looks like something, even like maybe a lance or something, was hooked on there. So she gets up and she's looking, and she can tell by the silhouette of dust that there was a very large sword there, right? Like it hung against the wall. So if somebody picked it off here recently, there'd be a spot where that was sitting where now the dust wouldn't have settled. It would have settled on the blade. And... Just looking at the shape of it and the measuring it, she's like, okay, for a human, this would be a two-handed sword. Looking at the size of it. Just overall height. Because just for that long, a human would wield that with two hands. She could wield it with one hand. It's nowhere near the size of her two-handed sword, which is just a monster of a blade. If anything, it's the closest to seeing a Final Fantasy sword in the hand of a character, if you know what I'm talking about, right? All the main characters Final Fantasies have giant swords. It's the closest you're ever going to come to that. She just has a massive two-handed sword for a minotaur. But she knows it, and there's a small plaque, and she can't read what's under it. So she calls over Petal. And she comes over, and she takes a look, and she's like, I don't recognize it, but uh, let me see what I can do. It's not any of those weird runes. It's just a language she doesn't understand. So she casts Comprehend Languages, which is a first-level spell that I give every mage. There are six first-level spells that I give every mage at level one. And then you get to pick one spell. It's just how I mage. Because again, it's always bothered me, at least I can't speak for 5th, but in 2nd edition, you get at 1st level a spell. There's no way you trained for 5 or 8 years to be a mage and you only know one spell. It doesn't make sense. So I give them utility spells. Not damaging spells. Comprehend language, things like that. Unseen servant, which is fun and everybody should have. Things that they, early spells that you would learn as a mage to learn how magic works. Uh, Comprehend language is one of those. So that's it. So she does that, and she, she, when she's reading it, she says that the plaque says, uh, well, I mean, they can read this. The words on it say uh, Stavarun. So S-T-A-V-A-L-R-U-U-N. Stavarun. So Petal casts the spell to see what it says, and she looks at it, and she says it, it, it's comprehending, it's switching over as the term Giant Slayer. And Petal's like, or Maeve's like, so it's a sword for killing giants. And she's like, no, I mean, maybe, but it, it's, a, it's, it's a proper name. Giant Slayer is its name. That's, that's the name of something. It may be used to kill giants, but that's the name of the sword. And it says Giant Slayer. So I don't know what it means beyond that, but supposedly that was the name of whatever the sword that was, was there. Or could have been the name of someone who wielded that sword. Right? People are named after things that they do sometimes, especially in a medieval heroic type world. Um, you learn what, you know, someone reaches a certain point in their life and they do something epic and now that's their name. So-and-so the Dragon Slayer. So-and-so, one-eye so-and-so. Things that you get that nickname in life. But it definitely kind of stands out and they're like, well, it's odd that it looks new. Dust really hasn't settled behind it. It would have been removed relatively recently. 
Uh, Michael says cantrips in third and higher. Very much so. Yes, cantrips. Cantrips is one of the few, and I've mentioned this before, cantrips in fifth edition makes sense to me. I like that. And it's something that I've been working into my version of second edition because cantrips is a great idea for that very reason. You can't spend years learning to be a mage and not learn, not learn a spell more than magic missile. Because everybody always takes magic missile. Sometimes they'll take flame, flame, uh, cone of flame, but usually it's magic missile, which is the best spell to take at first level. But I agree, cantrips is basically the low level stuff, and I think they converted a lot of those what were first level spells into weaker versions and made them cantrip in fifth, from what I remember. I never looked at third, three point five, or fourth, so I couldn't speak to them. Uh, they decide to go ahead and leave the room. They don't find anything else over there, but it is something that they notice and they can make a mental note of. And as they're leaving the room. They run into Brendan. He's like, ah, there you are. Perfect timing. Again, doesn't question what they're doing in the room. What'd you find? Why were you in there? None of that. He's like, ah, there you are. I've come to find you. If you'll come with me, it's time to meet with the king. The king has got some schedule. It's early dinner time at this point. I mean, it's like 3 o'clock in the afternoon, right? I'm trying to keep on that timeline, keep you guys an idea of what time it is. It's like 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So we're going to early lunch. The king eats early. He goes to bed early because of his sickness, so he's welcome and asks you to join him for, for a meal. And they're like, okay, we haven't eaten since early this morning. Sure, that would be great. And so they attend the king. Again, I want to point out, they're not asked to remove their weapons, right? So they're not saying, ooh, we think you're scared. Leave that giant sword and stuff in your room, or you have to leave that with the guards. Doesn't even mention that they're armed. So to them, it seems like it's not a concern. They're not a threat, which this point, there's really no reason for them to be. Because no one knows they've talked to the princess, right? So they're led back to the same room that they were in to meet the king last time. Um, and for the king, it's much the same, except now there's a table in front of them. In front of, front of him, where there's food and stuff piled on there, and Bartimus has a seat next to the king. And, the, uh, and then there's um, another table that's been set out for them way back where they were before, because again, can't afford to get any sicker. Can't get too close. And they're brought in and, and seated. There's food there and such, and they can't blatantly cast spells to see if it's good. But at this point, you know, nothing's jumping out as the food is dangerous. So they begin to partake in the meal. And of course, they start chatting with the king. And they're across the room, but it's not far enough away that you have to yell, especially me, if you can just have a conversation. Um, and they get a chance to, you know, just kind of have that conversation. So let me let me explain to you what this room looks like. Okay, so let's imagine shape-wise, it's like a hockey rink, right? So it's long, curved at the end. So if that's the shape, it's not that big, but that's the shape. It could be that big, but that's the shape of the room. Okay, there are big double doors in the back that they came through to get in here. The king is th three quarters of the way down the room, up on a raised section, of course. With thrones, and there's a little bit of a like a partition wall there, but it's not an actual wall that joins. It's a partition wall that they get to sit against. And there are two seats normally for him and the princess. Uh, the princess sits where the queen technically would have sat. Um, and Bartimus has a chair pulled up next to the king in situations when they're dining and such. Um, so, just to give an idea of the layout. Now, above them, behind, when they first come in, there's like an upper deck. There's a balcony where people could sit 
uh, and look down at this. Because this is also the main chamber. Weddings, balls, uh, big things going on in here. You know, I'm talking about plans, whatever. Uh, dances, whatever. So there'd be a place where people could look down on this. And there's one at the other end, just past the king. Same height. There's nothing up there that they can see. Probably seats and stuff. But it's mostly shrouded and there's no real torches lighting it up. Because there's nobody in there. Neither is the one behind them. Other than maybe a couple guards up at the top above them, they don't see any guards at the ones behind the king. There are guards spaced along the sides of the room, just far enough away that they're not too close to the king to get them sick. Same as our heroes. So it's not like everybody else can get close to them. The only person that is, is during this conversation they find out that occasionally gets to come up is Brendan himself, who's a trusted person, and he takes care of a lot of that stuff. So I want to give you the layout of this room. The room, it's the, the ceiling itself is arched. Um, so big, large wooden beams that kind of arch up. And the ceiling is stone or whatever. But there's, above this room, which is the central of the keep, there aren't any rooms above it. And in the center of the room is a large diamond-shaped stained glass picture thing. It's not an actual picture of anything specifically, a, a generic stained glass window and such. Um, it probably looks like it could use a cleaning, if anything. Um, but it lets some light into the room, but not a whole lot. So there are like torches and candelabras and such, and there's probably some, uh, what do you call those, uh, chandelier things with candles on them that they lower light up and pull back up again, which is very commonly how they do that, by the way. I had somebody ask how that gets happens. Chain, you lower it, you light them all, you winch it back up, tie it off. That's why they cut the rope and it falls on people in the movies. Because you have to be able to lower it and raise it to light all those candles. There's no electricity. So, that's just kind of the layout of the room. So a little bit of light comes in, but most of the light is flickering from uh, torches and things of that nature. Even though it's early afternoon, it would seem like it's actually a little after dark just by how the layout of the room and, and, and the glass and such. There's no other windows out because the rest of this room has castle around it, right? Other rooms and hallways and such. None of the walls of this room are outward facing. They have more rooms around them, so there's no windows going out of this room. So it's actually a safe place for the king too. Less likely someone's going to bust in a window and kill the king, right? Safety first. So, uh, let's see here. Here we go. So, uh, when they arrive, the king is there, Bartimus is there, but the princess is not there. Her chair is currently sitting empty. They're greeted, of course, and so on and so forth. And uh, Welcome again, my friends. I'm glad you could join us for this meal. I apologize I wasn't able to get with you earlier. I had some matters of state to deal with. Barbara and I were dealing with that. But it's all resolved now. We finally have a chance to get to spend some time with you. Get to know you a little bit. It's a pleasure to have you here. You'll have to, you'll have to please accept my apologies. My daughter was not able to join us this evening. Uh, Bartimus tells me that unfortunately she's feeling unwell. And uh, she's currently in her room resting. So uh, I definitely am sorry that she was not here. I'm, I know she was excited to get to meet you as much as I am. Hopefully she'll feel better uh, either tonight or tomorrow. And she'll have a chance to get to speak with you as well. And then Barlamus kind of smiles and nods to what the king is saying. And then he adds a little thing on at the end. Well, you know... Um, I tried to warn the poor girl. She shouldn't be out wandering cold hallways alone. Just going to catch a cold that way. 
And the way he says that is uncomfortable to them. Almost like, I warned you not to be out and about. It kind of has that tone to it, a knowing tone. Um, may not known, but they know. You know what I'm saying? But like, like he he knows more to it than that, and he's saying it in a way that leads them to believe he knows there's more to it. Not maybe not so much that they think he he thinks they know more, mind you. Uh, but definitely, he, the way he says it, he has a bit of a, a knowing sneer to it. That literally a sneer, uh, snarky. It's a good way to describe that. So the king, of course, asks, "How do you? What do you think of my castle? How do you think of the kingdom? It's it's the open pleasantries you'd expect." Um, Artist is the one that answers on behalf of the group as a princess. She, if you remember, I can't remember if I said she was a princess to them or not. But either way, she speaks in in the type of terminology that you would expect. Uh, we like an official answer. We're greatly uh, uh, excited to be here. We what such lovely king, kingdom, lovely castle. Everyone's been so warming and welcoming and such, and uh, such a beautiful home that you have. All the stuff you'd expect. And he's big smiles, like yes, yes, it's a nice place. The king's proud of his house. He's proud to be showing it off to these visitors, if you will. Um, and you know, artist gives all that, and she goes. She goes. She goes. I will say, uh, it's surprisingly quiet in here. I must say, you know, she's trying to poke a little bit here, but that's still not a rude thing. And the king's pleased. Goes, yes, yes. I'll be honest. I prefer very little noise. Uh, with my illness, sound is very magnified, and I, I get such awful headaches. Oh, I can't even begin to tell you. The head, it hurts so much. I'm sometimes in bed for days. So uh, definitely, uh, Bartimus has seen that. No, sees to it uh, that there's very little noise to disturb me. Again, he pats Bartimus on the arm. Again, my my good friend looking out for my health and concern. Bartimus with a, like a mouthful of foods, like oh yeah, yeah kind of thing, because <laughs> they're eating while they're doing this. A meal's in there, um, and while the food's there, Brendan is the one who's coming in and filling up their drinks and such, and bringing them more stuff. He may leave the room, come back in with dessert, or whatever the case may be. No other people are entering the room. No other servants of any kind. And Brendan is also seeing to filling the king and Bartlemus's glasses as well. And to which they thank him. Well, thank you, sir. You know, they're friendly and such. But it's one of those things where they have no concern that he's going to get them sick for some reason. Maybe just because, you know, He's part of the family, or he's been with them for years. Again, he's in his like late forties, fifties. He's a bit of an older guy, but you know, probably been with them for years, decades at this point. Uh, let's see here. So they're chatting, and the conversation goes on. They're there for a good hour or so, and they're talking about the kingdom, and it's a chance for them to talk about where they're from. And you'd imagine that, being a king, he would want to know of other lands, and he does most of the talking. Bartlemus is not talking a whole lot, except for to jump in and help with answers if he needs or if he's specifically addressed. Um, so, it's mostly the king talking to them. Bartlemus is not interrupting him at all. Um, and they're just kind of like chatting and so on and so forth about this. And both Maeve and artists, and even Rand and Kipper and Petal, they all mention a little bit, uh, but it's mostly artists and Maeve who are doing the talking which they're the ones more comfortable with that anyways. Um, and the, the conversation goes back and forth. It is then that it surprises everyone a little bit when Petal, just out of nowhere, 
asks or addresses Barlamus directly and asks Mage Barlamus, if I may, do you know, are there any other parts of your world that also came through the merge and are part of this new world as well? Is it just these lands here, which seems to be mostly your kingdom, but uh, you mentioned you were from another place and so on. Are you aware of any other parts of your world that also exist here in the new merged world? Barnabas is kind of surprised by the question, as are her friends who are all looking at Pedal like, where did that come from? It's an odd question. Never came up in any of their talks. and They can't quite see how it would really be that pertinent to what they're looking at anyways. But Barnabas says, well, I'm, uh, not that I'm aware of, I'll be honest with you. Um, although I've not left this land specifically since the merge has happened. This is my home, and I've been assisting the king uh, my entire time here, of course. Um, but uh, I'm not aware of any other piece of land, though from what I've learned from other travelers and things, that is common, that more than a single part of a world could be found in different locations, sometimes greatly far apart. I'm not aware of any, but I, I assume it could be possible. And then asks, why do you ask? Pedal's like, oh, just, just wondering. Again, your, your home seems so complete. Almost like your entire country came through. Uh, and you, I just wonder if any more of your land, if you had any long-lost friends, family, or someone. Yeah, just, a, just, a, just a question. And kind of shakes it off. But both Bartlemus kind of squints a little bit like that's, that question had, had more, more weight to it than you're letting on. And her friends are thinking the same thing. But why? You're not going to call her out right here, of course. But that was a strange question to come out of something they weren't talking about that at all. It's not long after when um, the king, you know, the king's kind of got his hands on his head and he goes, uh, my friends, I must apologize. I, I've, I've, I've enjoyed spending time with you, but unfortunately it's, it's been a strain. I'm, I'm not normally out and about quite this long and, and I, I must say my head is frightfully harming me. I, 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 it'd probably be for best if I was to excuse myself and get some rest. But of course, you are still welcome to be here. Stay. My home is your home, as long as you'd like. Uh, hopefully, you know, maybe tomorrow, the, me and you and them and, and my daughter will feel up as well. And maybe we can spend some more time together discussing. It's been wonderful learning more about your home and sharing my home with you. Very polite, very genuine about what he's saying. It doesn't seem fake at all. And Bartlemus, uh, you know, uh, Brendan, Brendan, I'm sorry, Brendan says, uh, would you like me to assist you, Your Highness? And Bartlemus goes, no, no, I'll make sure the king gets back to his room if you'll see to our guests. My friends, I apologize uh, for this, this meeting not lasting quite as long as we might have hoped, uh, but I'm sure we'll have many more opportunities to get to know each other. The king leans on Bartlemus's arm as they make their way out of the room. Uh, Brendan's still filling up their glass. He's not rushing them out or anything. They take some time to continue the meal. Brendan goes and begins to start clearing off the table the king and Barnabas reading on. And Kip turns to Pedal. says, what was that all about? And Pedal just looks at him and she's very serious in the face and she goes, I don't know yet. I'm not sure. That's all that she'll say. After they finish eating, it's 
sun's not quite down yet. It's, not, it's just, just almost the point it's going to start going down. There's still some daylight left. Brendan takes him to one more place. On behalf of the king, I'm taking him to the king's private garden. Uh, the king's quite proud of it. The, the king does have a good day where he wants to go out in the sun. It's where he likes to stay. So he walks them through the castleways, and they get there, and they takes him out to the garden. Now, it's clear that the garden was once lovely, but not so much now. Most of the plants are growing wild, or some are even a few dead. Uh, the flowers have not been tended to by any type of gardener. Uh, you can imagine with the immaculate gardens at the Temple of Serenity, you know, they're used to seeing what a well-tended garden would look like, especially <laughs> you got someone like uh, our good little Kender friend over there who's in charge of plants. But here, it seems like it's very wild. The plants have not been tended to in a while. The rose bushes and stuff are still growing, but just all over the place. Um, but while they're there, and there's a little fountain, and the fountain itself, or not fountain, I'm sorry, it's, there's like a small pond, I should say. A small pond, stone-lined pond. And the pond itself appears to be greenish in tint. You can't really see below the surface. It's got a little layer of muck on it, maybe some leaves and things floating on it that have been there for a while. Maybe even here a frog or two, I would say. But Brendan, of course, talks about not only the castle, but the garden and its beauty. It's one of the king's pride, most, most prided possessions is the garden and its loveliness. It, was a, it means a lot to him because it was a special place of his late wife. Uh, it was her favorite place, and he still comes out here from time to time, uh, which is why you know it's such an important place to the king and their family. And they're all looking at each other like, this does not look nice. But to Brendan, he talks about it like it is. And so they, you know, they may try to ask a couple questions, like, oh, these, these bushes, are, what kind of flowers are these? And he'll say, oh, from, if I understand correctly, the gardener says they're, they're this and they're this, and they're talking about it, but the plant's dead. It's got no flowers. It clearly has been dead for a while. It's mostly just rot in that section. But he's talking about the flowers and the colorful bloom and how it only happens in a certain time of year and going into details. And they're all seeing this. And they're all, okay, gotcha. So they start asking questions about this and that. And while they're kind of looking around at all this, and look, they, they get a different view of the castle. First time they've been outside the castle on this section. So they're looking at the castle in a slightly different direction. And when they're looking at it, they can see that there's a on the far side of the castle from where they are, there's a large tower. Not a large, a high tower, I should say. Um, it doesn't look like it's there for any type of guard purposes. It's not for security. There's no bullet holes. Probably not any guards in there. But uh, it, it's a large, very tall, thin pillar with a little bit of a, a wider room around it. You know, a little cone-type kind of ceiling. Or a, a roof on it, if you will. So uh, it's tower up, a bit of a ball, which is probably a room. It's rounded. And on top of a little ceiling, it comes to a cone. And uh, they ask, they ask me, like, uh, there's a tower up there. I, I, I see it for the first time. I've, I've not noticed it before. I hadn't seen anybody mention it. It's oddly placed. It's not for security. It's in the back. Uh, what an odd tower. And Brendan looks at it and smiles. He goes, ah, yes, that's the night tower. No one's been in there in a very long time. That's, I guess you'd say, is was designed, sadly, for those situations uh, where there would be royal prisoners. Generations past, 
Uh, I have to say there was a, a member of the royal family long before current king was born who uh, unfortunately uh, committed some most vile crimes. But being a member of the royal family, uh, he was immune to the type of punishments the common man would have, so uh, he was locked up in that tower for the rest of his life. It's been used a couple of times in the thousand years that this kingdom has been here, right? He says it's very rarely used. No one's been in there in quite a long time. In fact, probably needs some repairs, to be honest with you. And they're looking up there, and Kip, when he's looking at it, you know, even though it's the sun's just starting to go down a little bit, being a half-elf, his eyes are a bit better than anybody else's. And he notices something odd. When he has an opportunity, he kind of pulls Maeve aside, because she has the chance. And he's like, Maeve, tower up there. He goes, yeah, he goes, I can't tell if there's a, f a fireplace in there or not, but it looks like there's some type of very light smoke or fog around the top of that tower. And Maeve's like, really? I don't see it. He goes, I can just barely see it. But it, it seems to be hanging around the top of that tower in a slightly unnatural way, if you know what I'm saying. And Maeve goes, I do. Good catch. Thank you. And then they continue on. You know, with Brendan talking more about the place. Uh, hello, Kesku. Good day. Um, so at that point, uh, they notice the tall tower. Uh, explain that. So, Artis, at this point, asks Brendan clearly, Where, if I may ask, I don't see many servants here to attend to the, the family and such. There's not a lot of servants here. And Brendan says, oh, there are servants about and around, but they do their very best to stay out from underfoot. Um, we don't need many. I, I primarily handle most everything for the, for the royal family myself. There's not many people here. Most of the guards and stuff see to themselves. The cooks see that they're fed, but uh, we just don't have a need for a large amount of servants. So I handle most everything. So, he then turns, he's like, all right, well, I guess it's, uh, we're going to take you back to, it's, the sun's now coming down and starting to get darker outside. He goes, well, I guess it's best uh, I take you back to the dining hall. There's been a little, they just ate recently, but it's like, there's some drinks and desserts there for you for, for, for the evening time. Unfortunately, I have to tell you, the king is still feeling unwell and uh, just will not be able to meet up with you more today. He's still resting, but... Um, he says, we'll not be able to join you, but he does hope to be able to meet with you tomorrow. Brendan has a big smile. And they're looking at Brendan, and they kind of look at each other. They're like, okay, that would be great. Because Brendan hasn't spoken to anybody. Brendan has been with them. Brendan is not, no guard came to them, no servant came to them, but Brendan just talked to them like he just received a message from the king somehow. All natural-like. Like, oh, they, unfortunately the king's not feeling up anymore this evening. And they're like, oh, okay, sure. And he leads them back to the private dining hall area where they, uh, where they hang out. Where they've had a couple meals now. Again, there's a small desserts, dinner cakes, wine, things like that. So I know it's relatively early. I thought it'd be a good place for you and your friends to spend some time. And then... You know, when you're ready, you know how to get to the rooms. They're just out that other door. It goes right there. Um, but, uh, you know, at that point, I, I will bid you do. If you do need anything at all, there's a guard uh, outside that door there. Because there's a couple exits out of this room. There's a guard outside that door there. If you see to them, uh, 
they'll, they'll fetch me if you need anything at all. Feel free to ask. Wishes them a fond evening. It's, again, early evening, 6, 7 o'clock at this point. Now that they're alone, they have a chance to talk about everything that they've seen and they've learned so far today about the castle, covering what little things. Most of them were there. They get to talk about, we saw the smoke in the tower and the thing, and hey, did you all notice how Brendan acted like he got a message even though he's never got a message, you know, no one came to him? All those kind of things popped out. So they get to discuss that. And as they're talking, they're like, this is definitely something weird going on. And I'm not sure I feel comfortable just going back to our rooms and going to sleep. Because, huh? Right? There's some, I, don't, I don't want to get attacked again, but I don't want to leave either. We obviously need to find out what's going on. Petals kind of shocks them again and says, I want to go back to the library. And they're like, what? Why do you want to go back to the library? She goes, first of all, I want to see if the princess left any word. You all noticed how she wasn't there. She could be in trouble. She might have left some type of word or message. We know where her little secret tunnel is. Maybe she left something in there for us. Maybe something we can use to try to help her. More information. That's the only place we've been able to talk to her. I'd like to go back and see if she's there. And uh, she goes, and besides, there's something else there I need to look at. They ask her, okay, what else do you need to see? But she brushes off. She goes, she's not willing to talk about it. She goes, let me just say there's something there I need to look at. Until I'm more sure, I really can't say. But there's something there I need to look at. It's imperative that I get back to the library as soon as possible. Now, friends have never seen Pedalak this way. She's being very adamant. This is going to happen. I have to get back to there. One way or another, I'm going back to that library. <laughs> and they're like, okay, we, we got you, Pedal. But they're not going to let her go alone. And Kip goes, I can go with her. He goes, if the two of us are careful, we should be able to get to the library without anybody seeing. He kind of winks at Petal, and Petal gets a smile. Because she's a kender and he's a thief. If there's any two people who could sneak through a castle, it's these two people. And they're like, I think... We, she goes, yeah, I think we can get there without anybody seeing. And the friends are like, all right, well, we don't like it, but you're adamant you're going to go. We're going to stay here, so if Brendan comes back or anybody pops their head in, we can say you guys went back to your rooms. You know what I mean? Try not to draw attention that you're gone. Please be safe, be careful, but get back as quickly as you can. So Kip and Petal go out a different door. Not the one to the room, not the one where he said, Brennan said there's some guards out there if you need anything, but a third door that they've opened before and they know this passed away. Sure enough, they open it, there's no guards there. Kip and Petal slip out that door. And they've been around, everybody's been around this keep now for a couple of days. They've spent some time, they know the basic layout, they know what they're looking for. And so now I have a little bit of reading. All right? A little bit of reading here. It took Petal and Kip some time to reach the library. They were extra careful to avoid being seen. Finally, they arrived, and Kip slowly opened the doors. They were in luck. The library appeared to be empty. Once they were inside, Petal asked Kip to stand guard, to watch for anyone coming. He took a safe place to stand where he could see most of the library. It would also be able to hear if anyone is coming. So he doesn't have to be looking out the door. He'll hear footsteps. Again, half-elven. So he's close to the door, but he's, he's standing in a place where he can hear, but he can watch Petal, see if the princess pops out, keep an eye on the room, make sure nobody else is popping out of anywhere else. Petal went straight to the shelf she'd seen earlier and pulled down the tome. It was not a large book, 
though it was quite thick. Petal ran her fingers across the title nervously before opening it. Kip could see her flipping through the pages, obviously looking for something. With a small gasp, she finally stopped. Kip could see her reading quickly, absorbing the words within. He was about to ask what she'd found when he heard footsteps coming down the hall, growing closer. He rushed to Petal and told her. She was crushed and hesitantly closed the book. She hesitated a moment holding it, but finally put it back up on the shelf where it had been originally. The two rushed to the princess's secret door. As I'd mentioned before, Kip had found the lever to open it previously, and it was the only other way out that they knew of. They had barely closed the shelf behind them when they could hear the library doors open. Inside, Petal found a small handle and was able to pull it, opening a small spy hole. She could only see the shelves across the way. If you remember, I said this is back in the shelves with another shelf in front of it. Can't really see the rest of the room for it. Uh, shelves across the way, but she could hear someone pull a chair and sit at one of the tables. It appeared whoever it was wouldn't be leaving anytime soon. Without any other option, the two quietly made their way down the tunnel. It was quite narrow, and at times Kip had to squeeze through sideways. But after a few minutes, they came to some kind of intersection. To the right and to the forward, there were tunnels, and these passages kept going. But to the left, the passage ended after only a few feet. They decided to inspect this tunnel first. At the end of it, they found another spy hole and a lever which obviously opened up yet another secret door. They saw through the spy hole that the door opened into a hallway and it appeared no one was around. It was, deci- it was decided that they would then leave the hidden passage. While it would have been nice to try and find the princess, getting lost behind the walls was not going to help anyone. And they didn't want to be away from their friends for too long in case something did happen. <coughs> Excuse me. Hmm. Once out in the hallway, it didn't take long to get back to their friends, as they were being less concerned with hiding, since they weren't going for their objective. They're not blatantly being loud, but if they did get caught by someone, they could be like, oh, we got lost, we're heading back. Can you show us how to get there? Because now they're not trying to get to someone, they're just trying to get back to the room. The others were relieved to see them return safely, though concerned there had been no sign of the princess. <clears throat> I feel the girl is in danger, Kip said. You all heard Bartimus. He might as well have just said he caught her blatantly to us. The others agreed. There is far too much out of the ordinary here, added Artis. There is the work of dark magic, to be sure. And I'm tired of waiting around, said Maeve. We've been sent here for a reason, and I am not content just sitting here waiting for it to find us. Rand says, the way I see it, our choices are to go either up or down. We can see what that evil Maeve sensed was below the castle, or we can check that night tower to see if the princess has been imprisoned there. Either way, I think we should all stay together. We still don't know quite what we're facing. They spent several minutes debating their options, and finally they decided to begin by searching beneath the castle. While they were concerned about the princess, they'd seen nothing that directly connected her with the tower. The evil beneath them, on the other hand, was a known certainty, and they felt that it needed to be dealt with. The time for diplomacy was over. It was time for them to take action. They left the private hall and returned to their rooms for their gear, without waiting for Brendan. Nothing appeared to have been disturbed, 
So they armed themselves and gathered their belongings. They did not know if they'd have another chance to return for them. Everyone prepared themselves silently, each resolved to the fact that they were about to enter into an unknown danger. Only Petal seemed preoccupied, though she did not share her thoughts with any of her friends. Prepared to go, Artis picked up Quintius and slid the scepter into her belt. With a pat, she said to herself, Well, Quint, I hope you've got something up your sleeve. Quintius remained silent, which only worried Artis more. Drawing her morning star, she turned to the others. All right, let's find out what the hell is going on here. Did we ever find out of the book? No, <laughs> that's still ongoing. So, at this point, they're like, okay, we've hung around, we've learned what we can, it's time for us to get in there and find out what's going on. We've been sent here for a reason. We need to find out what that is. Their intention is to make their way to the doors that would go down, that they believe go down, or into the mountain, one or the other, and find what the evil is there and deal with that. Then they'll do, hopefully, the princess is there, they can save her. If not, the next thing will be to find the princess. But at this point, there's too many things here that are just too odd, and with an obvious sense of evil, they cannot be who they are, clerics and paladins of the light, without dealing with it. So that is their intention. And that's where we're going to stop for today. What's in the book? What the title of the book is? We'll talk about that later. I can say that the next episode of Merge Worlds, we should see the biggest, uh, I guess you'd say the climax of this storyline, uh, will very likely be largely resolved in the next episode. But with one final note, and this is just adding on to the final note from last episode, for those of you that were here. The storm had come. They knew it was coming, and sure enough, Serenity was blanketed with several feet of snow. The worst blizzard that they'd ever had had taken them on there, and they'd done all the prepping they could for it. It had come early and looked like it was going to be there for the long haul throughout the winter. Serenity was, in many ways, frozen solid. I don't mean that they're literally frozen solid, but it stopped a lot of things like training, uh, building more defenses for Oromon, being able to even send spies and such to Ormon and try to figure out if there, you know, there's danger coming from Ormon, things of that nature. All that really came to a grinding halt, not 100%, but 99, with this storm, because that became everything. It's about making sure people were fed, people had warmth, a place to stay. A lot of people in the outlying farms were brought into the city to stay at places where they could be better cared for. Those who would, some people had, they themselves prepared and were, were plenty of food and stuff built up. But this blizzard has hit uh, serenity and looks like it was going to be there for a while I just wanted to mention that no particular reason of course I mean there might be a reason we don't know today but I do want to say thank you all for coming to today's episode um, today's episode was a lot of setting up for next week uh, so next week um will be a bit more action-heavy, hopefully. Uh, you'll be uh, interested in uh, returning for some of that business. Um, but yes, we're going to have uh, some fun there. So hopefully you'll come back. Um, now, I want to remind everyone who watches these streams, live streams, 
Um, <clears throat> starting in October, Merged Worlds is going to be moving from every other Thursday night to every other Tuesday night. My work schedule at my full-time real job, uh, unfortunately, is changing. So as such, Tuesday night is going to be the best night uh, for me to be able to continue. So it'll be every other week. It's just going to move to Tuesday instead of Thursday. Um, let me check my calendar here so I can give you some specifics. So today is the 22nd. Uh, let's see. So next week there wouldn't be a merge. So yes, the first Tuesday merged world will be October the 4th. Okay? Um, and then, much like with the audio podcast, I try to get that out within 24 to 48 hours where I can. This one ran a little bit longer. I've been trying to keep it to the hour, hour and a half mark, but I had a lot to cover today. Um, I'm excited to finally get to uh, the meat and potatoes of the Caradon storyline. It's been going on for a while. Uh, and hopefully you guys like what I have planned uh, and in store for you. Uh, but I do appreciate you all coming. If you had a good time, whether it's today or you're watching this 10 years down the road, please be sure to click that like button here on YouTube and be sure to subscribe to the channel. And if you are listening to this on iTunes, Spotify, or any of the other auto podcasts, please be sure to make sure you follow it there as well. It'd be awesome if you'd give us the five stars and a rating. Uh, if you're watching this in the video and you have an iTunes or a Spotify, it would also be awesome if you'd go over there and give it five stars and a rating. It would be very, very much appreciated. The more stuff like that happens, the more that the podcast is put in front of other people's eyes, and I just want to share it with as many people as possible. But that is going to do us for today's episode of Merge Worlds. Again, thank you for letting me share my story with you. I look forward to sharing much, much more. This was episode 87. Whew, we're not super far from 100. We'll get there. You folks have yourselves a wonderful evening, and I will see you again in two more weeks for a little bit more Merge Worlds. You guys have yourselves a great day.